Good morning and welcome to the jar. We're so glad that you decided to join us this morning. As Chris said, my name is Dawn Richmond and I am the student ministry director here at the jar. I'm also a counselor and I've been filling in as volunteer director. I'm also a wife and a mom, so I have many roles and I'm just really glad to be here today. Thank you so much for allowing me to share a message with you. First off, I've just felt a prompting to pray because there's a lot of things going on in our world today. If you've turned on the news, you know that. So would you join in me or join with me to pray? Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for breath. Thank you for life. Thank you for loving us. I just pray that you would be in this place today, be in each home that's watching today. Lord, people are hurting. They're scared. They're fearful. They're afraid of COVID. People are being affected by it. Racism is happening. Movements are happening. Protests are happening. And Lord, I just pray against the spirit of racism right now. It truly is a problem and we cannot deny it anymore. So I just pray against that. I know that that's a tactic of the enemy to try to divide people. We honor people of color. We love people of color and we want to walk alongside of them and help them. We know that if you were here on earth, Jesus, you would be standing with them. So I just pray that all of us can have that awareness, that you would give us peace and justice and protection. Thank you so much, Lord. Amen. So I'm a Muncie local, basically, born and raised. Don't hold it against me. I'm kidding. Um, I went to Ball State in the early 2000s, and I have this class. I took it, and it was called English 299X. And I had never seen a class with an X in the title before. So I was like, it must be pretty intense, right? So on the first day, my professor told us from the get-go, I like to use a lot of profanity. I'm like, hmm, okay, this should be interesting. Then he proceeded to go, F! And he screamed the F word, like super loud. And I'm not talking about the word faith, okay? It was the F word. And I wasn't sure whether to laugh or to be scared. It was kind of a weird, intense moment. So I knew that class was going to be intense. It was the English literature class in which we examined the atrocities of the Holocaust, of mass genocide and horrible things that happened during that time. And actually, we examined literature that arose from that tragedy of the Holocaust. I don't have time to tell you about each and everything that shifted me and changed me in that class, but I do remember one specific image. You see, my professor had taken a trip to Poland to tour all of the um, concentration camps and where they used to be. And when the Allies liberated the camps, the Nazis actually started blowing up all the camps to get rid of the evidence. And so my professor showed us a slideshow of pictures, and I still remember one very distinctly. It was a picture of a bunch of rubble with one single beautiful flower rising up out of that rubble, which was actually a grave for many. And while I tried to find that exact picture, I could not, and I actually didn't have a copy of his, but here is something similar. There should be one up on the screen for you. You see, these buildings in stone and the evil that happened there during the Holocaust, that was man-made. But beautiful flowers, that beautiful single flower rising up, that is God made. Because God can make beautiful things out of rubble. Houses are man made. 
I actually grew up with my dad running a business. He was a framer. And so I remember as a kid going to different job sites with him and seeing, you know, like a bare field with either a basement or concrete and then watching them actually construct a house from the ground up, which I thought was so cool. And actually, my husband and I are in the process of buying a new home. We love our old house, but we've kind of outgrown it, and we just want something a little bit bigger, nothing crazy. But we have both gotten through our second degree in college and decided to get something a little bit bigger. But when we had an inspection done on our house, we found out that the concrete slab was settling. So this can be caused by soil moving, water on the slab, or roots actually from plants or trees shifting. And there's probably more ways too, but I'm not a contractor, so I'm not going to act like I know what I'm talking about. Anyways, we needed to have that that slab repaired before we moved in. And so as I was preparing for this teaching, I was thinking about that image of the flower pushing up through the stone. You see, when you're a homeowner, that's not something you want to see. Roots and plants coming through cracks can actually be a major issue. It can cost a lot of money, a lot of time, and lots of headaches. And once a plant's roots discover that microscopic crack in concrete, they can force their way in. Even little small weeds or seedlings can have the power to actually displace the concrete. To take root and over time can crack, break, or buckle the concrete. How amazing is that, a tiny little seed? I guess it depends on how you look at it. But if you look at this analogy and the view of our lives and our creator, I think it can be something beautiful. Something else that's man-made are graves. Graves are man-made. They date all the way back to Roman and Celtic cultures where people would actually put stones on top of a grave that someone was buried in to assure that people wouldn't actually exit the grave. And then it evolved into headstones, in which now we have memorials. And basically, there's something man-made for us to remember or memorialize a loved one. But we all know that that's a symbol, right? There may be a body inside that grave, but there is not a soul. I took my daughter to the grave of my grandparents just the other day. She's five, and it was the first time I'd taken her out there. And we talked about a grave and what it is, but, you know... The soul is not there. It's only the body, and it's a symbol. So something that is God-made, though, as we looked around that graveyard, I contemplated looking at all those stones, and then I see these beautiful flowers. And flowers and plants are God-made. And gardens are God-made. And this dates back to the creation of the earth, right? God created the beauty of nature and everything in it. And where were Adam and Eve when they were first created? In the garden, the first garden, the Garden of Eden, paradise. When we think of Eden, we think of paradise and Adam and Eve, but we also think of death and sin entering into humanity. In Genesis two sixteen through 17, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So what do Adam and Eve do? Exactly what they're told not to, right? Sounds about right. That sounds about like us as humans. I know I do. If someone tells me not to do something, then I want to do it even more. There's actually studies of psychology that indicate when we are told we're not supposed to do something, we actually desire to do it more. However, in Eden, Adam and Eve were swayed by something, a serpent, actually Satan. 
Sin entered, the grave entered, and death entered with the fall. Genesis 3, 1 through 5 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and, if, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When sin entered the world, everything was thrown off of balance. Everything became out of whack. Death entered, the grave became a reality, and nothing would ever be the same. When God created something as beautiful as the garden, Satan came in to lie, steal, and destroy. He lied to Adam and Eve, and then their curiosity and disobedience became death. Not just for them, but for all of us as humans. And the enemy put in that doubt by questioning, right? Did he really say? I don't know if you struggle with doubt, but sometimes I do. Immediately after they ate the fruit, shame entered into the picture as well. They hid. They were embarrassed and afraid. And isn't that what we do also? We hide. We hide our emotions. We hide our drinking, our drug use. We hide our true selves because who might accept us if they really knew us? We hide with food. We hide in our jobs by working all the time. We hide in relationships or affairs. Whatever it is, we all hide. And I've definitely hid a lot of times in my life. But I think back to my senior year of high school, many, many moons ago, <laughs> and I hid when my mammal died. My papa died when I was a sophomore on Christmas Eve, and my mammal died right before Thanksgiving, my senior year, so it was a couple years apart. And I was really close with both of them growing up. They were my safe place. And some of you that know my story know that my mammal and papa were the first people in my life to teach me about God. But when my mammal died, I was devastated. I'm pretty sure that her prayers protected me all throughout my upbringing. But after her death, I really didn't want to get close to anyone, especially someone like a grandma. I didn't want to get close and then experience that heartbreak of loss again. But then along came my Grammy, and she stole my heart. She wouldn't allow me to be distant, and she loved me through it, and she continues to love me. Grammy is my husband's grandpa, or <laughs> grandma, Charlotte, and I've been fortunate enough to inherit her as my grandma when I married my husband. She can make you feel like the most special person in the world. She tells me, you are the best gift that God has given me. She delights in me, and everybody needs someone to delight in them. Grammy is one of the strongest women that I know. She has been through so much, and you would honestly not know it because of the joy that she has and just the faith that she shows and what she eludes. From a young age, she was molested by her own father. She struggled in a family of dysfunction and addiction and abuse and secrets. Mental illness reared its head in her family. Her mom would sometimes try to get her to drink alcohol and blow smoke in her face. 
When Grammy married Poppy, he was and still is the man of her dreams. He got her out of that situation of dysfunction. But we all know that you can take someone out of that situation, but the pain of that dysfunction screams inside, and it follows you. You see, Grammy had PTSD. She would scream, have nightmares, wake up in the middle of the night terrified, thinking that her father was sneaking in the room on the ground to come into her room and hurt her. She would never tell her mother because she was afraid of the outcome and afraid that people might not believe her, not to mention the shame involved. She started having children after her and Poppy got married, and she had to continue to be around her abuser because it was her family. It was her father. But she vowed to protect her sons and daughters from that abuse, and she would not let it continue. In her adult life, she's faced many battles as well. She lost her brother to suicide. He also struggled with a mental illness, and he ended up taking the life of his wife and then taking his own life. Her other brother died just about a year ago from cancer, and she tries to have a relationship with her sister that is living, but her sister also struggles with addiction, mental health issues, and can be emotionally sometimes kind of cold. But you know what she has? Or should I say who she has? She has God. She has had him through all of it. I asked her just the other day, I was talking to her on the phone, and I said, what is the one thing that has made you get through all of this? And she said, Jesus. That leads us to our big idea. So if you're following along or want to take notes or fill this in on the app, the big idea is God can turn graves into gardens. God can turn graves into gardens. You see, this woman has a faith that you would never believe. When she beat ovarian cancer, she gave the credit to God. She never loses hope, never loses faith, and she knows who she is, and more importantly, she knows whose she is. Just the other day on the phone, she said, how did I ever get so blessed to have you as a grandchild and my other grandchildren, and now I have five great-grandchildren Her faith got her through. God got her through. You see, for what Grammy was born into, sin was in her life. Maybe not because of her, but because of something that happened to her to make her think that she was less than. Most victims of abuse think that they're flawed in some way, and they actually think that it is their fault when it is not their fault. The grave entered into her life when the abuse started, and the enemy tried to tell her, just give up. Just die. Enter the grave. But can't you just see that beautiful flower pushing up through the stone? Then there's the garden. The garden where Christ is and was and is to come. When Jesus took a hold of Grammy's heart and gave her a promise to never leave her or forsake her, to help her through the valley, to carry her into a better life, and eventually into a beautiful eternity in that garden. Because that's who our God is. He does not care who you are, what you've done, what you've been through. He loves you as is. And Grammy reminds me of the women who poured perfume on Jesus. 
There are actually two that come to mind. So I didn't grow up in church, so I'm actually learning daily, still reading the Bible. And I actually thought this was the same story, but it's actually two different stories. So by studying the accounts of Luke and Mark, I figured out that these two women were different that poured perfume on Jesus. So we're always all about learning. I know I am, and I love learning from the Bible. In Luke 7, 36 through 50, Jesus was anointed by a sinful woman. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him, meaning Jesus, he saw this and he said to himself, If this man is a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Don't we do that? We judge people. We look at them. Maybe they have different lives than us. Maybe they don't make the same amount of money as us. Maybe their skin color is different. Maybe they have different views. And we automatically label them. Well, that's what this religious leader did. He said, she's a sinner. Jesus answered, Simon, I have something to tell you. And he said, tell me, teacher. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? So imagine 500 bucks versus 50 bucks. Two people owe that to someone and they forgive the debt. Who's more grateful? Probably the one that owed the 500, right, versus the 50. Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you didn't give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This woman was labeled as a sinful woman, but she shows her need for Jesus through her love and forgiveness. The depth of her sin is the need of her forgiveness. And you know why? I love people who are broken and who have a rough past because I have a rough past. Because we know how screwed up we are and how wretched we can be. And because of all that we've done, we need Jesus. We are nothing without Jesus. And we are so grateful for his grace and forgiveness because we know where we've been and where he's brought us. Moving on to the other story, which is also at the home of Simon. Simon, perfume, you can maybe understand why I got them confused. But this is a different Simon. This is Simon the leper, and he's actually a friend of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Jesus was anointed at Bethany in Mark 14, 3 through 9. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. 
Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. I love that line. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. In Jewish culture, after someone died, they would have their head anointed with oil to prepare for burial. And Jesus actually alludes to the fact that Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, is preparing him for burial, which actually has a deeper meaning because Jesus anticipates suffering the death of a criminal on the cross. Because if you were actually a criminal and you were executed, you would not be anointed. So she shows her devotion and love for Jesus and offers him this gift. Dedication, devotion, and love for Jesus. That also reminds me of Grammy. Did I mention that Grammy is actually legally blind? She was born with an eye disease and has struggled with blindness her entire life. She literally cannot see, but she knows and believes and trusts because of God and how he has brought her from the grave to the garden. And Grammy lives a beautifully abundant life of faith even when she can't see. So what do these two women have in common, and maybe Grammy too? It's your next villain, a need for Jesus. A need for Jesus. One shows with desperation for a new life and forgiveness of sin, and the other woman shows it with gratitude, love, and devotion. Mary of Bethany was preparing for what she knew was to come. And the other woman was also preparing for what she knew to come. But for these two women, the grave meant two different things. Mary of Bethany was preparing Jesus for burial, but knew he would live again and she would be reunited with him. Jesus was at the home of his friends, like I said before, Simon, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And this was actually his last week before he would go to be crucified. And would die for all of us. He would actually teach in Jerusalem during the day and go to Bethany at night. This woman, who actually was just a quiet listener, realized that during this customary Jewish meal, Jesus was in fact the guest of honor. Normally, the guest of honor would be anointed with oil. She took that beautiful, expensive jar of ointment and poured it onto his head to anoint him. And this was no ordinary anointing, it was a royal anointing. That costly perfume was a year's worth of wages for someone. So most of you probably did your taxes recently. And whatever you earn for the entire year, imagine taking that and spending it on one jar of perfume. And then using that entire jar in one setting. The disciples then get really upset and they think, this is ridiculous, Mary. Why would you do this and why would you waste that? Because during Passover, a lot of times people would sell things to have money to give to the poor. But in verse 6, Jesus says, you don't have the insight. You don't see what's happening. They miss the point, the intention of such a selfless act, such a rare moment. And I wonder, how often do we do the same thing? We get so caught up in the details and everything else that is happening, and we miss the point. We miss Jesus. I know our world is kind of like a dumpster fire right now, right? COVID, racism, all these horrible things that are happening. 
But what if there's a point we're missing? What if we're missing Jesus? What if in this chaos and uncertainty, we're supposed to fix our eyes on him? Something to think about. But Mary showed that act of love and sacrifice with this gift. Now, about the poor thing, people have interpreted this differently, but Jesus is saying that we should not neglect the poor. We should indeed care for the poor. But in this situation, he was saying, you will have plenty of chances to do that, but you won't always have the chance to be here with me because he would soon be gone physically. And this was a way to worship and respect him in that moment. Perhaps Mary realized that he would soon be gone and that something was going to happen. And this is the greatest gift that she could give. She did what she could. She did what she could. What she felt led to do. To show devotion in the way that she could. Now the other woman knew that she was headed for the grave. And she needed forgiveness in order to meet Jesus in that garden when her life was over. She was saved by faith and could experience God's peace. This woman throws herself at the service of Jesus. Other guests are quite skeptical and critical. She places her faith in Jesus and receives this beautiful gift of forgiveness. In verse 37, it mentions she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. This woman who lived a sinful life may have been a prostitute. And she learned that Jesus was eating at the house of a Pharisee, which was a religious leader. So this woman's reputation more than likely preceded her. It took great courage for her to walk into that place. The perfume was very expensive, and honestly, she probably wasn't an invited guest on the guest list to this dinner. But instead, she went into the house, knelt behind Jesus at his feet, and she weeped as she did this. And she dried his feet with her tears. Because to wash the feet of Jesus was a sign of humility. It was the job of the lowest servant in the house, and she snuck in and did it. In this culture, to be touched by a woman such as a prostitute, would make a religious person unclean. The religious people had no concern for this woman, but saw her as a discarded piece of trash in society. So no wonder the compassion and forgiveness of Jesus was an appeal for her. Jesus cared when no one else even bothered to notice. And I'm telling you, if you don't feel noticed, if you are alone and you feel like no one cares, God does. I promise you he does. Then we go on to the death of Jesus, which we know will happen. When Jesus died a criminal's death in the tomb that his body was laid was actually a garden. Literally a garden. And then obviously symbolically it meant something more. That his death, his grave could give us life, our garden. Two years ago, when I watched my dad take his last breath, I watched him enter that garden with Jesus. And it was a time of sadness, but I was shouting hallelujah at the same time because he didn't know Christ, and at the end, he did. And then four months ago, I watched my beautiful mama leave this world and enter the garden into paradise on earth. I watched her take her last breath, and Jesus guided her into that garden to take her first breath with him. In Max Licato's book, Traveling Light, he talks about the burden of the grave. And if you've ever been to a funeral or a memorial service, you've more than likely heard this. Even those who don't know the Bible know this verse. 
Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's Psalm 23, 4. Life is short, you guys. The brevity of it can be kind of scary. Medicine may grant us a few more breaths, and exercise and eating healthy may give our heartbeat a few more beats. But in the end, there is an end, and it's something that we must all face. Death is inevitable. It's a 100% guarantee. We'll all face it. Some of us don't want to. Some of us think it's scary, and it's scary to think about. But I beg you, please do not face death without facing God. Don't even speak of death without speaking to God. It's really not that difficult. You see, all you have to do is talk to him and say, God, I believe you are God, and I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me, and I want to be with you in heaven. Show me the way, because you don't have to be perfect or have it all together in order to accept Christ. He loves you just the way you are, messed up and broken. That's how I was. I was still drinking every single day when I accepted Christ, but eventually God changed me and brought me into who he wants me to be, and he's still working on me every single day. God can and will guide you through that valley. Others may speculate, but God knows the way to get you home. You see, God is committed to getting you there safely. John fourteen two through 3 says, There are many rooms in my father's house. I would not tell you this if it were not true. I am going there to prepare a place for you. After I go there to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me so that you may be where I am. That's his promise to come back and get us. And you know what? He doesn't delegate the task. I'm not afraid of death because Jesus and I have all that taken care of, what's going to happen after I die. But to be honest, watching both of my parents die a slow death from cancer, I'm really afraid of the process of dying. But when I reread this book, Traveling Light by Max Licato, it was the second time around. I actually read it in college, and I loved it, and I thought it was amazing. I'm not sure I actually read the two chapters on the burden of the grave and the burden of grief, but if I did, it didn't stand out to me. But this time when I read it, that was my reality. Losing two parents, struggling through grief. So when I read it again, I was assured that God would not leave me in the moment. He's never left me at any other time in my life, even when I didn't know him, even when I cursed him. Why would he leave me in the time when I am making this transition? Dare we think that he would abandon us in our moment of death? God would never allow his children to enter into eternity alone. So let me ask you a question. How will you view it? Will you view death as entering into the grave or entering into the garden? Or maybe it's just your life here. You know, we can have a beautiful life in the midst of chaos and uncertainty. And I know that it may seem hard to do that right now because of everything that's going on. But I promise you, if you fix your eyes on Jesus, you can find beauty in some things. In most things, actually. Because the God of the mountain is the God of the valley. Maybe your grave isn't the thought of death, but it's actually just your life. You've been through so many valleys, you don't think you can make it anymore. Trust me, I've been there. I can relate. And whatever valley it is that you're going through, it can be a place of restoration. It can be a garden. Because he turns graves into gardens. 
Here on earth and in eternity, he turns graves into gardens. I will fear no evil, for my God is with me. He turns graves into gardens. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving messed up people like me. Thank you for the cross. Help us to know that our days are numbered. Help us to love and appreciate every breath, every moment that you give us. Help us to be reassured that you turn graves into gardens. And help us to see the beauty of your promise in both. Lord, maybe some people watching today are just checking out this whole God thing. Or maybe they're far from you. Or maybe they are a faithful believer in you. But wherever they're at, maybe they're living in a grave. And they want out. I just ask you to comfort them, God. Make your presence real to them. Let them know that you love them just as they are. Maybe you would like to accept Christ today. And if that's the case, I just want you to say this prayer with me. You can say it out loud or say it in your heart. Whatever you feel like doing. God, I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sins. Make me new. I believe you died and rose again just for me. Help me to follow you all of the days of my life. And help me, God, to love like you. It's in your precious name that we pray, Lord. Amen. If you said that prayer for the first time, we are so excited. We want to celebrate with you. If you go to the jar.org slash accept and just let us know, we would love to congratulate you with that. Please know and don't forget that he can make graves into gardens and he is with you and he is for you. We love you. God loves you. Stay safe and we'll see you next Sunday.